This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, women's college basketball fans. It's your producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, and we are excited about our very special podcast today. We are breaking down the brackets, and LaChina Robinson is going to join us shortly, but we've got some very special guests who are going to join our show today, and it's going to be a surprise. I know who the guests are. LaChina may or may not know who the guests are, but you guys surely don't know who the guests are. And we're just going to surprise you along the way as we talk some women's college basketball. We're just going to be inviting some random people to join us, and we're super excited about it. So you guys got to stay tuned the whole show in order to know who's going to jump in with us today and break down the bracket. We're going to talk all four regions in depth, who we like uh, who do we think are some, some teams to watch? Who do we think will go deep within each region? And we're very, very excited about it. So without further ado, enjoy everyone. First quarter. All right, fans. So it's time to take an even deeper dive into the brackets. And to help us do that, we are very fortunate to have with us um, the most knowledgeable, I'm going to say, uh, writer in women's basketball, that's history, that's games, that's personnel, um, the one and only Michelle Vopel joining us on the show. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'll tell you, I think you know everything uh, when it comes to women's basketball. And I would, you know what, if we had a women's basketball writer's bracket, you would be my UConn. I agree. Now, now I'm going to get... Um, that's nice of you to ahead. say. Uh, that's very nice of you to say. I, I think there's just there's so many people now. I think, and you're also right at the top of the list who are doing so much with the game, and that that really makes me happy. The one thing um, I do hope that I can bring is I'm old, so I remember a lot. <laughs> so well, that's what I like to kind of bring in. Yeah, and I yeah. think the historical part of it, you know. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan in general, and and I know that to me that's what women's sports is. It, it's at times is really lacked. It's just having historical perspective and being able to say, hey, this reminds me of something that happened in the '80s. As crazy as that might sound, sometimes I think that's cool because it's how with other sports, you know, we, we talk about Super Bowls and we talk about stuff that happened a long time ago, and it puts it into historical context, which is how we judge, you know, progress. And so, um, it's very nice of you to say that, but that's that's what I hope I I can bring, and that that comes with you know being an old person. <laughs> so no. Oh, I so love I that. I that, and I love I love the historical perspective. And I have to I have to go back a little bit because Mel Greenberg, as you know, has all of the knowledge as well in terms of history. So both of you guys are like my historical gurus um, who have been around covering everything, you know, so for a long time. But um, to your point, I believe that that's what the challenges for us in covering women's basketball because. Our history is not well known. Women's sports history is not well known because we're only covered today two or three percent of the time an article about sports is written. So imagine where our history has been lost. Um, and so that's, that is so significant and, and so important. I'm glad that you bring that aspect in, uh, you know, when you're covering our game. So let's talk about these brackets. Mm-hmm. I was in Indianapolis. Charlie Cream was there. 
Um, you were on hand. I saw some of your tweets and things come through. Uh, the committee was able to uh, address, for the most part, you know, their answers to the questions. Not sure the fans were necessarily happy with all of those answers, but is there anything still unres- left unresolved in your mind, Michelle? Not really. I feel like with where the the regional sites were and with the procedures and principles that they have, they came up with a bracket that made sense based on those things. The problem that we all, you know, know about and, you know, have have struggled with, if you will, for a long time is that the regionals aren't always conducive to having large groups of fans of popular teams be able to see their team. And and that's an issue I think we'll continue to struggle with. Uh, UConn is very, very close, again. And part of that is that they place regions close to them. Then they earn that. You know, they're they're so frequently the overall number one seed. So it's it's not like they're not earning the spot, but I think part of the issue is does that become in some ways a self-fulfilling prophecy that every – year for so many years they have that geographical advantage how does that translate uh and that sounds like i'm saying they don't deserve it i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's an issue for south carolina fans how far they've had to travel um in in the last five years we're talking about california twice sioux falls which i i had to go there myself i know how much that plane ticket costs and now albany for the fan base that four years running is leading the country. When we talk about growing the game, which we've all been talking about on my entire career, I have to question if that grows the game, if the if a large percentage of fans from a very, very strong fan base realistically can't afford to go see their team uh, at a regional. That was the big thing, honestly, with China. Is there's not much I could look at at the bracket and say, wow, this is just wacky this doesn't add up it's not that it's it was sort of something that was inherent in some ways to to the way the bracket is and so it's more of a conversation i think continuing after the tournament um and and for the next you know maybe for for the next several years in terms of how best to allow our fan bases to to see their teams and and so that's that's just something that's going to come up because the bracket then makes it makes it real for people yeah, and I, you know, I, I get that because, and I know the committee says we don't go in looking at what's happened in previous seasons, and I believe that. But when you look at what has happened with South Carolina over the last few years, they've been stuck on that G curve, um, and it's interesting to hear the committee actually talk about that. And one of the questions that we had during the show was, will women's basketball ever get off of the G curve, where they could go to a natural S curve, and it could be all about you know the seed lines as they should be versus and there are some procedures and principles which fans if you have not heard our podcast um on from selection monday you need to go listen to that but um ronda lundine bennett talked about the principles and procedures so for example you know south carolina um in in Mississippi State keeping those two teams you know separate to a certain degree to a certain point um there's a lot of things a lot of little rules and nuances but at the end of the day um you know they had to that was the best place for them to put them 
based on all of those rules and procedures and trying to protect the one seeds. There's just a lot that goes into it. it it's really complicated. But I, I understand Dawn's frustration because what she has done with those fans in South Carolina, I, I, I it's unbelievable. Like, you've been to Columbia. I've been to Columbia, okay? Yes. It, it's not easy to build what she's built. Now, Mississippi State, to some degree, they've never had crowds like they're having now, obviously. But Sharon Fanning was successful there, right? Mm-hmm. To, yeah. to And so there was a culture of women's basketball. And to my knowledge, and you correct me if I'm wrong, a much more successful culture there historically than there ever was at South Carolina. Is that fair to say, Michelle? Yeah, and obviously if you go back to the early 80s with with the, with some of the issues that happened with coach Pam Parsons it it re, there was a there was a there was a lot of backlash to some negative things that happened uh that was a mm-hmm. successful team they had some scandal uh some bad things happened and so then you had i think just a lot of malaise uh mm-hmm. I, I think there were even when you had good players like Shannon Johnson um at South Carolina there wasn't any sense of community or feel about the team and i do think there was that to, to a degree at Mississippi State, and as you said, there were some very good players, like a, you know, Tan White and Latoya Thomas. Latoya there were good Thomas, players yeah. Teams, but what Vic was able to do is, and 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 his his staff and his players is really make the community feel part of it. And I think he would point out, you know, that Gary Blair is somebody he learned from in doing that. And then what Don did at, at South Carolina, they've kind of you know uh, done the same thing. Don and Vic, yeah. in terms yeah. of in terms of using uh, Twitter, and Don, I think is absolutely the genius at this because she's so good on Twitter and so communicative. But really engaging the fans to feel like they are personally involved with the program, and they've both done it really well. Yeah, no, they have, and I, I wasn't bringing it in the comparative nature, but I, I just happened to be a little closer to South Carolina when they were starting things. And I know that for a fact that Dawn put her own resources into, into that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like in terms of making sure that they had the things they needed, that she had the staff that was going to go out and build that. So anyway, we have got way off the bracket, but Michelle, happy to hear that you don't have too many complaints um, coming off of that night. I learned a lot. You know, I'm not a bracketologist. That's Charlie's specialty. You get into it. You know, I'm learning about all the curves and I've, I've gone to the mock selection. I need to go again and probably again. Um, but the technology continues to improve. You know, the teams are getting better which make these decisions harder. I did feel like Rutgers should have gotten in over Oklahoma. That was another discussion that was had. Rutgers ended their season 20-12. and 12. They had a 40 RPI, a 16 strength of schedule. Oklahoma finished their season 16-14 and 14 with a 35 RPI. But that number two strength of schedule really is where Sherry Cole won. Because the committee was able to keep that conversation consistent about the importance of scheduling strong um, when it comes to selection. So, you know, hey, that's been their consistent message. I get that. There was precedence for Oklahoma getting in at 16 and 14. Uh, You know, you remember Cal. I mean, there's been teams in, in previous seasons who have, you know, also gotten in with similar record. And so... We had to move on from there, but I, I did feel like Rutgers should have gotten in. Yeah, I would say everybody. Uh, Oklahoma, I think, was very surprising. The problem is everybody who didn't get in had had things that they they could have you know point to yeah. 
hey, look at yeah. we didn't we didn't do what we needed to. There wasn't any gigantic snub. Out no, of no, I, didn't feel. I would I would agree. And, and Sherry Cole, I mean, I saw some footage. I think they were like chilling at the crib. Like they did have their Oklahoma stuff on, but there's some video floating around. It looks like they were at maybe at Sherry's house or something, and you yeah. can just tell that they had no like they had no idea their names were getting ready to call so it was a cool moment came out of it okay so let's get down to the actual regions and we will mm-hmm. start with um with albany which is where uconn was placed as you mentioned earlier um the teams that will start off in stores the uconn We'll play St. Francis, 16th seed. Um, Miami, uh, out of the ACC, will play Quinnipiac for the second time. Um, they actually played them last season, and there were some fans that had questions about that. There are no principles and procedures against that happening. Um, so it just it ended up that way. It wasn't any attention by the committee. Um, I, I, that's going to be a very interesting matchup to me because of that history with Quinnipiac having um, beat Miami. And, you know, what is Miami's mindset coming into, you know, having to play them again? And Miami's got knocked out fairly early the last, what, two years? I think yeah. it was South Dakota State that took them out. So I, I don't know, Michelle, this could be an interesting matchup. It could, and and it's a little, it's a more even matchup, at least seating wise, you know, than it was last year. I mean, last year that game happened um, at Miami. Miami was, you know, a host team getting beat on their own floor, so it was more of a Cinderella factor, um, you know, with the Bobcats last year. I'm not saying they don't still have a little Cinderella dust to them because I think they do, (laughs) but uh, it could be, um, you know, I think this maybe is a little just different dynamic for Miami because. Um, maybe they didn't wear the favorites mantle as well as um, as they would have liked to, and and this will be a little bit. I mean, it, there's no way it, it doesn't feel like a, a, a chance for a little bit of revenge from a disappointment of last year. Yeah, and it's it's a great story because of last year with Gino wearing the Quinnipiac T-shirt, you know, during the tournament and really showing them some love. And Coach Fabry is amazing. So um, I, I just have so much respect in what she's done there and how she's built that place. So moving on first round in Albany, uh, Duke will play Belmont and Georgia is going to take on Mercer. Now this whole pod is so interesting. Number one, because it's taking place in Athens. Georgia's hosting. Uh, Mercer is kind of the, I mean, they've had an amazing season. Don't get me wrong. 30 and two. Um, and you know, we had him on our podcast and it's, it's been a great year for Coach Gardner, but they're kind of the stepchild in the state of Georgia, right? There's, there's Georgia Tech, there's Georgia, and we don't hear as much about Mercer, even though they've had great success. And then that other matchup, Duke, who has been banged up all year, Belmont is a team, gosh, Darby Maggard is one of the best shooters in the country, a very confident team under Bart Brooks. What do you see maybe coming out of, out of, this, out of this location in Athens, Michelle? You know, I'm not going to be surprised if there's not – at least, or I guess I will be surprised if there's not at least one upset. I mean, I could see that happening, but it could happen in a lot of different ways. I, I think you're right in terms of, you know, Mercer and Belmont are teams that, you know, got into the Associated Press Top 25 poll. I think both of them did by the end. Um, yeah. uh, you know, at least Belmont was. And you don't see that happen very often. Belmont's 
as well as they played last year. You know, they showed what a good team they were last year, I think, uh, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Um, I And then you have Duke, which is just – there's something about Duke, you know, that you wonder, are they are – they, could they be upset? You know, they haven't necessarily played that great in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they weren't in it two years ago. They didn't make the field. And um, – they have the capacity, we all know, to have their offense get kind of stagnant and kind of, kind of shut down. So that's interesting. And then Georgia, you know, it's been a while, I think, since Georgia's uh, felt like they were, you know, a, a favorite, if you will, to be a Sweet 16 team. So how will they handle, um, you know, that that kind of um, if, if pressure, if you will? So that's what makes it interesting is you have quote-unquote underdogs who I think come in with some confidence and then the other teams who maybe, you know, will have to prove that uh, they can live up to their seeds. Yeah, there's nothing like a team that's just confident and they know what they do and they play with the underdog chip. And that's what, that's what Belmont and Mercer are going to bring. Um, they want to prove a point as well. You know, they're their team, the teams that come in saying, hey, we're, we're – uh, you got the lower seed. We are. We have nothing to lose here. Um, okay. And you're you're right about Duke. Now, if I was going to put money on any backcourt, one of those backcourts would definitely be Lexi Brown and Rebecca Greenwell. They're not going down without a fight. Now, the rest of their cast has been up and down, and that's where Belmont has an opportunity to give them trouble as the 12 seed facing the five. Um, I just want to, oh, wait a minute. We might have a special guest joining us. Hello? I don't know how special he is. <laughs> Coach Andy yeah. Landers, welcome to yeah. the show. Just a okay? We're trying to just a guest. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the show, Coach Landers. I am on the line along with Michelle Vopel. And it's so funny. We were just talking about Georgia versus Mercer. Oh That's my the only goodness. That's the only bracket. With four <laughs> in it. Hey, your your timing is impeccable, Coach. Um, do you think Mercer has an opportunity to give George any trouble? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You know, they got the, the backcourt. All three of those guards can play. You have a facilitator in the middle that can dish it, and you have two scorers on each wing. I, you know, I, I think the, the height of, of Georgia – uh, and the rebounding ability of Georgia is important. But Mercer uh, has been a team. I, I just think it's a time of year where where that stat of turnover margin is important. Mm-hmm. And because because that those are possessions. And Mercer has been a team all year that has not hurt itself by turning the ball over. And as good as Georgia is defensively when they played them the first time, they didn't turn them over. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, somewhere between that and the rebounding, I think, is, is, is uh, you know, what, what determines the game. But, you know, obviously Georgia has the ability to, to score with Kalia and McKenzie and, and then Q out on the perimeter. But those three guards at, at Mercer are the real deal. 
Yeah, and, and just to put a bow on this one, you're right. Georgia's been number one in, in field goal percentage defense in the SEC, which is not easy to do at all, but it's definitely not easy to do as, as great as the defense is in that league. And as far as Mercer, Michelle, you're right. They made their first appearance in the AP Top 25 since 1980. Um, Sydney Means led the SOCON with eight assists per game. Kalia Lawrence, three-time SOCON Player of the Year, 19 points per game. And they're riding a 27-game win streak. That's not going to be easy to take down. All right. So moving on to Tallahassee. South Florida against Buffalo and Florida State against Little Rock. South Florida has a six seed. Buffalo is an 11 seed. Um, they got an at-large bid. Um, Felicia Litigette Jack has done a fantastic job there. And then Florida State, Sue Samaral's team, third, the three seed, um, they got an at-large bid out of the ACC in Little Rock, uh, the 14 seed. Anything stand out to either of you guys there? You know, I felt like South Florida might have been a little under-seeded. Um, I, I can understand why they came out with the six, but I thought maybe they're a little bit better team, honestly, than that. I, I thought they might have been a bit higher. In fact, I think they they were, you know, Charlie talked about them even being in that pool of potential hosts, so even two seeds higher. They have that big win, you know, I saw over Ohio State in the, uh, you know, the non-conference game those teams played in February. And if if those two get there, you know, the two Florida schools meet, which I think they will in the second round, that could be a really, really good second round game. Yeah, that's yep. an interesting conversation with South Florida um, because – I, I think there there sometimes is a what have you done lately mentality when it comes to bracketing and South Florida being in the American, which, you know, has UConn, but not a ton of high RPI teams beyond that. They kind of get lost in what they do in the non-conference and they don't have those. Oh, this is who we beat in league play or this is who we upset. They either beat UConn or they're not making headlines in that league. And I believe, of course, that's not necessarily the committee's principles, but that that's how maybe some of those wins, like you talked about, Michelle, get lost. I, I don't even know why you asked me to come on today if you've got Michelle Vopel. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. LaChana, she knows more than you and I. <laughs> she does. She That's what we said at the top of the show, Coach. She has a lot of knowledge, a lot. Um, also in Albany, we have um, in Columbia, California, Cal, that's right, the Bears, uh, playing Virginia. Cal's a seven seed and Virginia's a 10 seed out of the ACC. Joanne Boyle finally able to get over the hump and get her team in. Um, and then South Carolina, the Gamecocks, the number two seed, as uh, Michelle and I have already talked about, a little bit of controversy with them being in Albany. Uh, they will take on North Carolina A&T as the 15th seed out of the MEACs. Second quarter. We're going to jump over um, and talk a little bit about Lexington uh, since we have um, Coach Landers on the phone. We're going to mix it, do a little remix here. Um, and we're going to start at the top. We've got Louisville, the Cardinals, Jeff Wall's team, number one seed. Uh, they will be playing at home and sleeping in their own beds. Uh, they'll be playing a number 16 seed Boise State with a 23 and 9 record. And on the other side of that, they've got the 8 and 9 battle between Marquette and Dayton. Now, this is an intriguing matchup um, between these two teams, at least I think, guys. But what stands out to you there in, in the teams that will be playing in Louisville? 
you know, the the thing obviously that that jumps at me with Louisville, I, I did the first rounds, the first two rounds up there two years ago. Uh, that that that's such a difficult place to go into and play because they're they're going to have seven, eight, nine thousand people at these games. Uh, and, and I doubt that any of these four teams have seen crowds like they're going to see there. So not only is Louisville the best team uh, there, they, they have a tremendous support group in place behind them in an environment that's going to be tough for anyone uh, to overcome. But I'm with you on Marquette and Dayton. I think that that, that that on the surface looks like it could be a really good game. But, you know, the Marquette team – is one that that intrigues me because how many games have they lost? Three, four. Yeah, well, Marquette in league they lost three or four, but they lost nine overall. Now, two of the games that they lost were in overtime. One overtime. was two. Yeah, one was. Thing. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yep, you got it. Yep. So that you know that that gives you an idea as to how good they can play. And if, if they play that, that well and they can handle the environment in Louisville and, and of course, if they can beat Dayton. But, they, I mean, those, that's on, the, on the surface, you look at that game and say, that's going to be a good game, and I, and I believe that it will. But I think, you know, what Marquette has done during the regular season, where they've been and who they've played gives them a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, and you know you got to remember this. I mean, Dayton has more NCAA tournament experience. Um, Marquette is just getting back there. I mean, they had a couple of years that they were in a lull, but Dayton, you know, obviously has has made great strides in the tournament. And I think Marquette is trying to figure out if they have enough. Um, maturity. You know, I covered them all year long in the Big East, and they could put up 100 points on you easily. But if they're engaged on the defensive end, that's where some of their inconsistencies came in conference play, because even the, the few games they did lose in conference play, Coach, were they shouldn't have, right? Other than you think maybe DePaul and possibly a Creighton here and there. So they had yeah. some moments. Moving on to uh, Stanford. The Stanford Cardinal will host as the number four seed, um, and they will take on the number 13 seed, Gonzaga. And also, uh, they're joining the Cardinal. The number five seed, Missouri, uh, will take on Florida Gulf Coast, Carl Smesco's team out of the A-Sun with a 30-4 and record. Now, Stanford and, uh, and Gonzaga, you, you guys can go all day on that matchup if you want to. But Missouri, Florida Gulf Coast, <laughs> I don't know. Robin Pinchton, Robin Pinchton might be in trouble. What do you think, Michelle? Well, I think this was a, I mean, this was a disappointing um, last week of two weeks from Missouri. I can't tell you how desperately they wanted to host. I mean, it was, it's crushing to them. Uh, they have a great fan base there. They haven't hosted since I was at Missouri, which was a long time ago, 1986. <laughs> um, you know, Sophie Cunningham wasn't even a gleam in her mama's eye. Her mama was a was an athlete at Missouri then. So um, this was tough, you know, to not just not host, but then to get sent out to California, to not be in the Kansas City region. Uh, they so much wanted to have that chance to be in Missouri, you know, possibly for uh, for the whole tournament run. They're they're going to have to get past that, and then they have, you know, Carl Smusco, really good coach, and a program that has taken down some some big seats um, before. I think that's going to be a tough game, 
And, uh, you know, it would be interesting, even Gonzaga, a very good team that has has a history uh, back when, when Kelly Graves was there, but then even continuing now, of also being a, a team that can that can do a little giant killing. Uh, I, st- I think we're going to see Missouri-Stanford, but it's going to be very, very tough for anybody but Stanford to win that. Yeah, I was going to say, back to the crowd part that Coach mentioned, you know, it's hard to win at Stanford. Um, and I, that's why I didn't want to glaze over that matchup by any means because Gonzaga's been able to do, you know, great things. But it, it's hard to do that there, and it's hard to beat Tar Vanderveer's team at this time of the year because this is where she's at her best, right? It doesn't matter how they start. They always seem to show up at this point, but... You know, Carl Smesco probably doesn't get as much credit or attention at Florida Gulf Coast as he deserves because of the way he's built that program. Their their offensive style reminds you a lot of Marquette. He's almost like a young Doug Bruno. Um, you know, they spread the floor. They use uh, easy twos to get threes. They'll press you. They're athletic. Um, you know, this is their fifth A-Sun tournament championship in seven years. I mean, he has owned that league, um, eight-time A-Sun coach of the year. Uh, but they do have to deal with Sophie Cunningham, Coach Landers, and I, I, I wouldn't want to play her this time of year. Well, you know, I, I got two or three thoughts on, on this little matchup. You know, Missouri, and, and it's interesting what Michelle shared with us about their disappointment in not hosting uh, the the last couple of years, maybe the last three years, I got the feeling when it came SEC tournament time that Missouri as a basketball team was starting to tire. They look worn. And, you know, I was at the SEC tournament this year, and I thought they looked a little bit tired. They don't look like they have the energy that they had. Uh, in, in January, and that concerns me a little bit for Missouri because I think that they have an outstanding team. And, yeah, Sophie is, is as good a player. You know, I was looking at national field goal percentages the other day, and by my count, in the top 40, there's two guards. There's only two guards in the top 40 in the country, which isn't a surprise in field goal percentage. And Sophie is one of them. Then I think she's like top five or six in the country in, in three-point field goal percentage. But the thing that interests me the most about this game is oftentimes Missouri will come down, and at the very least they have the ability to come down on offense and and run their stuff and control the tempo of a game. This isn't a high-scoring team game in and game out because they're so deliberate on the offensive end. If they can control the tempo that way against Gulf Coast, I think they have a big advantage. But now if they give Gulf Coast a lot of opportunities to play offense, that's a team that averages shooting over 33-point shot attempts per game. Mm. Then they could be in trouble. They could be in big trouble. And you're right about Sophie. She is 47% on those three-point attempts this season, third best in Division One. Um, and Missouri as a team averaging 70 points per game, which may not seem like a lot, but it's the most since 2006 and seven. Um, and as you mentioned, in terms of their shooting, they are 13th in three-point percentage at 38% and 20th on shots inside the arc 
at 51%. So that'll be an interesting matchup. Okay, so moving on to Knoxville, um, where the Lady Vols will be hosting and the other teams joining the balls there. Number six, Oregon State will take on number 11 seeded uh, Western Kentucky. Michelle Clark Hurd once again out of Conference USA. And then the Vols, the three seed, um, at large out of the SEC will play the 14th seed, Liberty. Um, and I guess I'll just start with an overall question, and, and either one of you guys can take it. Is there pressure on Tennessee to perform well in the tournament? That may be crazy because maybe there's always pressure. But with this team being young, um, but also having some veteran players in, in Russell and Nard, what are the expectations for, for the balls in the tournament? I think there's always pressure on them, and I think that that is a nonstop. They have a fan base that some people there are just not happy. They've been bypassed by you know by at least two programs uh, in their conference, and uh, there's a lot of pressure on them to get out of that subregional. I, I think because uh, we've seen them, they're a team that still now for how many years now we can't be 100 percent sure which team we're going to see when they take the court. Will they be the best Tennessee? Then they'll, then they'll get out of that sub-regional. But if they're not, they could be in trouble, especially when you're looking at the potential of having Oregon State maybe in the second round. Michelle, what do you, what do you think about this as a response to what, what you just said? I agree that there's pressure. I agree that their fan base has expectations. But I, I kind of feel like that the, the program, the team, it's kind of numb to it because it has been going on so long. I think it's become this the standard mode of operation on a day-to-day basis up there for so long. It is what it is. Uh, you know, and I say that because I don't see anything that looks desperate in terms of changing it. I think you're right, but I also think that may be a problem. Uh and maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, is there, you know, there, there's two seniors on that team who I think play hard, you know, want to do the right thing, but um, definitely want to and have been very good in that program. But, you know, Tennessee was always, it wasn't just Pat that was, who was so intense. She almost always had at least one or two or sometimes more than that kids. They were very intense, and we're, we're always sort of carrying that mantle of we are Tennessee, and that means something. That's what I think the fans worry about, is do those players still feel like being Tennessee, you know, just walking on the court, having Tennessee on your chest means a little bit extra? Because it did for decades. Sure. And, uh, and I don't know right now that – uh, and, and it's understandable why they're they're very far removed from their last national championship. I mean, it was it was ten years ago. But uh, I do think that pressure and that the fans are are looking for them to to stand up and play two really good games there. And and you know for for better or worse, I just think that's that you're right. That is what they they've lived with. Yeah. It's going to be interesting you know, to watch. That's always one of the the, the big storylines is what's going to happen with the Vols. I'm sorry, Coach, you go ahead. Well, I was going to tell you a little something. I, I don't know a lot about the Liberty team, but the coach, Kerry Green, I coached him in junior college. He's from Maryville, Tennessee, which is 17 miles from Knoxville. He grew up. He grew up there. 
uh, he, he and and Kerry's been at Liberty a number of years. We've played him a couple of times in the NCAA tournament. As a coach, he's pretty fearless. He's he's not going to be intimidated. Now I don't know if he's got the personnel to compete with Tennessee or not, but if he does, oh, because they'll they they'll come to play. Yeah, he yeah. always coaches them up. You're right. Twenty four and nine in the season, they won the Big South. Um, but this is not a team that's new to the NCAA tournament. It is their first appearance since 2015. Um, Kerry Green is his 19th season. Wow. Um, it just has really built something special there. The school itself has had 17 tournament appearances. Um, and their best finish came in, in 2005 where they reached the Sweet 16, which you both know is not easy to do from their position. Sorry, Michelle. Yep. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I, that's that's right. I mean, and that that game was pretty famous because it it you know it was against Penn State, and then everything went south real fast at Penn State right. after that loss. That was it's a really sort of epic um, NCAA tournament upset for what happened historically after it. I, I do think if seeds hold, one thing if it happens, if it's Tennessee and Oregon State, that center battle is going to be a lot of fun to watch with Marie Gulick and and uh, Mercedes Russell because it's two true big women, you know, low low uh, post players. If they have a chance to face off, that could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, Marie has really. Oh, we might have someone else joining the line. Tarika, we have a guest. We have a special special guest on. She's from the heavens. Her name's Angel Gray. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Angel. Thanks for having me, ladies. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's so good to hear your voice now. Not just ladies. We've got a couple surprises. Coach Landers on the line. We've got Michelle Vopel and me and Tarika. So welcome to the show, Angel. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, Coach Landers. And, of course, Michelle, uh, love following you and everything that you do for women's basketball. Thank you. That's All right. Well, you got to jump right in the fold here because we're moving. <laughs> right now we are in the Lexington region. Um, we're talking about Knoxville with Oregon State and Western Kentucky versus Tennessee and Liberty. So just to put a bow on on this site, you're right about Marie Gulich, and she has been sensational. You know, after they, they lost Sydney Weiss, everyone was saying, well, what's going to happen with Oregon State? What can they do? But Scott Ruick, I'll tell you, having had them last year um, in Stockton, He's a tremendous coach. His story is great. I mean, starting from the head tennis coach, going to basketball, but in particular on the defensive end. I mean, every year they are one of the toughest defensive teams, and the way he has been able to get them back to to this point after losing such major pieces I think is impressive. And to, to tie the bow on Western Kentucky again, we talked about Michelle Clark Hurd. I you know, she played at Western Kentucky. She has a long-standing history there. People say that that can be the hardest job to take, right? Going back to your alma mater, but she has made it look easy. You know, I mean, think of what they've done even this year. The, the same uh, Missouri team that we talked about—they beat them. You know, I mean, exactly. this is out of Conference USA. Um, so I, I just think that she has done a tremendous job there. Tasia Brown has again been Conference USA Player of the Year, so they're they're strong as well. All right, yeah. so we are going to move on to Waco and the Baylor Bears. So a very interesting conversation. I want to just open this up to the group. I, I don't know who it was who I was listening to talk about Baylor, but it, it gave me the impression that 
we think that Baylor can still get to the Final Four, whoever this was I was listening to, despite not having Christy Wallace, which sounds ridiculous because, Coach Landers, I know you love Christy Wallace. I love me some Christy Wallace. We all do, right? Like, she's tremendous. But to think that they could still get to the Final Four with a freshman at point guard, is that what we think, Coach Landers? I think definitely they can. You know, I, I just uh... – the, the the inside game, you know, women's basketball has changed some over the years. You know, you, you go back a few years, and if you didn't have a true post player, it was difficult to play and match up with the people that were that were winning big. People are winning big now with six two forwards, not necessarily post players, and that uh, now you, you've got Baylor who has, in my opinion, one of the two or three best low-post players in the country and and who has the size that it, you just can't guard her with one person. You're going to have to bring help. And then she has a sidekick out there at 6'5 that, that, <laughs> that will hurt you, and those two play so well together. I understand what's happened at the point. But the, but the rookie just stepped in and played lights out. And that's the thing we've got to remember uh, about Baylor and, and even Texas. These are two teams that have recruited well year after year after year. Uh, and just because a player isn't on the floor doesn't mean that they're not capable of playing at a high level. We found that out in their last couple of games. That's a fantastic point. Um, Angel, what do you think about the the importance of Christy Wallace and what Baylor can still do? I would have to agree with Coach Landers. Like I was when I heard about, you know, Christy going down, I was like, Well, that's a tough blow, but that's because I wasn't really aware of what the freshman point guard was gonna be able to do and step in and how she was gonna attribute to, you know, what what all they already had, especially the inside presence, but she has not skipped a beat. She has been consistent. She is aggressive to the rim. She um, is confident in, in shooting her shot. And she's a great floor general. And to have that in a freshman um, right off the bat, that shows you how much um, the team trusts in her and how much she was preparing for this moment. So I definitely believe that they can be a Final Four team. Yeah, they've got Kalani Brown. They've got Lauren Cox. And, again, the the freshman point guard we're talking about is Alexis Morris, who some people were wondering if, you know, they knew, we knew she was chomping at the bit to get her opportunity, right? You come in, you're highly recruited, you're a big deal, and then you're maybe not playing as much as you thought you would early on. And clearly she's been taking notes because she's come back in and it's been it's been seamless. And obviously, um, you know, Kim Mulkey will have their team ready. I am not one who thinks that they can still make the final four so easily without Christy Wallace. So I would have to disagree with that. I think their chances are greatly um, not that they can't get there, but their their chances greatly decrease without her because I think she's their motor. She's what makes them play hard. They their their biggest pieces are inside with Brown and Cox, but she is what makes them go. So I'm looking for Alexis Morris to change my mind on that. Um, they also just don't have a lot of depth in general. So I think what we're we're, we're asking this freshman to do and this team to do under these circumstances, I I really feel like their chances of making the Final Four have decreased. <laughs> I want you to think about this for a minute, just for the sake of argument. Because you may you you 
you you're probably right, but mm-hmm. all this all the all the rookie have to do is get it in the half court. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because if she can get it in the hands of, of Cox or Brown, there's probably something good gonna happen. And, and the okay. interesting thing I saw at the Big 12 tournament was I think some of the motor, Lauren Cox is picking some of that up. She she, she has more of that in her than we've seen so far, and I think she sensed she needs to do that. Um, and, and I talked to Kalani Brown you know, after the championship game, and, and I said, are you guys doing some different things, especially you and Lauren and, and Dakia Co- Cohen, you know, who is a senior, who I think had a really nice senior year for them, and and yes, and yes. she said, you know, what we want to do is just really be reassuring, um, you know, Alexis, and keep things pretty simple. And, you know, we know she doesn't have Chrissy's experience. So that's kind of is a comfort factor, too, is that she has post players. And I know Lauren Cox is only a sophomore, but she seems older. Um, but then Kalani is a junior and Dakia is a senior, that they get that. What I was looking at is in the, in the Big 12 tournament was turnovers, and I thought Baylor did a really nice job of controlling the turnovers, even against a, a guard-oriented team like Texas that has seniors at guard. And so I thought those were good signs. I, you're right 100%, LaChina, in terms of depth and, and then concern but I was, re- I, and then there's Natalie Cho. You know, how how is yes. she going to fit into yes. this? Because she's been out hurt, but can she step in and hit some threes? Because they'll miss that with Christy as well. If she can do that, uh, and, and the one last thing I need to, there's almost nobody who does better when she feels like her back is absolutely up against the wall than Kim Mulkey. Kim there's Mulkey, a something yeah. <laughs> that gets her going, yeah. and and I think that's another factor too. Is that there's not there's a few coaches who just bring so much personality to their team the way she does, and so she's going to be bringing what and Christy Wallace is going to be on the bench trying to bring it too. So that they'll have that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'll tell you this, Lauren Cox showed me a lot in that Big 12 championship. I don't know that I realized before that she was so active defensively. I knew she was a great defender in terms of blocking shots, but she actually does a lot for them on the defensive end. And we just saw this attitude coming from her that I'm not sure that I I saw as much of that uh, previously in her career. So, I, I, you guys are absolutely right. We'll have to see what happens, but they will be taking on the 15 seed Grambling and a young lady that you should know, Shakila Hill, because earlier this season she notched a quadruple double, um, making NCAA history um, only the fourth in the history of NCAA women's basketball. So um, I'm excited to see how she does against the big dogs. And then Michigan um, is on the other side of that, playing Northern Colorado, a team that people may not know that much about. But let's take a look at what they've done here. Um, they beat their first AP-ranked team in DePaul um, on the road in their season opener. That's not easy to do. And they also won their first game against an SEC opponent in LSU. So they've got a couple of quality wins um, under their belt. So we are not going to overlook uh, Northern Colorado coming out of the big sky. 
Fans, stay right where you are. We will be back after the break with more regional bracket breakdown for our NCAA tournaments show special. And make sure that you guys are following us on social media. Use the hashtag around the rim. Leave a review and rate our show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we love to hear from you guys and we love to know what you guys are thinking and rate and reviews are the best way to let everyone else know exactly how much you love around the rim. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this third quarter we are going to jump into the kansas city region if you guys are just joining us it's me your host lachina robinson we are joined by uh, the great coach andy landers on the line as well as angel gray uh, fantastic analyst for women's basketball and the michelle vopel um, who could be considered the vault or the archive of all women's basketball <laughs> history. Um, so we're looking at Kansas City, and we, we go right to that number one seed, um, hosting in Starkville, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, they will be playing number 16 seed, Nichols State. Um, and then on the other side of that, there's the number eight seed, Syracuse, uh, playing against Oklahoma State, which is the ninth seed out of the Big 12. Angel, I'm going to come to you in a minute on Syracuse because I know you've got some things on them. But first of all, Coach Landers, quick question. Uh, Mississippi State, are after their performance last year, are they carrying a lot of pressure on their shoulders to perform um, and, and come up big and make it to the Final Four again and coming off of this performance they just had in the SEC regular season? No. They're 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 very comfortable in their skin. They think they are where they're supposed to be. Uh, it's it's uh, this is this is a confident basketball team. Uh, they they I think they feel like that they've worked hard to get there. They climbed the ladder one step at a time, and now that they're near the top of the the ladder, they're they're close to where they wanted to be. So I, I think they're very comfortable with them. But how hard is it to lose in the conference tournament and then bounce back without a game in between? Like, are there doubts that set in? Are you able to just brush that off and keep moving? I've always wondered how, you know, that one loss coming right before the tournament affects a team. You know, I think the time is good. Uh, the time, the downtime is good. You know, we've, we've had teams through the years that got beat in the SEC tournament, uh, that were going to be highly seated in the NCAA. And it gives you time, uh, to, to get focused on, on what's coming up. I, I think Mississippi State, I think Vic, I think everyone involved down there understands that what they had was special. They didn't expect it. They embraced it. Uh, but that it ended, it, it's going to end. You know, I mean, sooner or later, it's going to end. And I, I think that they they have kind of an understanding uh, of that. I, I don't think, if anything, I think it'll make them a little bit hungry. Remember, you've got a you've got three seniors on this team too that have been there since since day one mm-hmm. uh, as freshmen in Victoria and Blair. Uh, that that they 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 they're not going to want to go out. They're they're going to want to play as long as they can possibly play. And I just think that this team is built uh, to to make a run back to the Final Four and to play for the national championship. You know, they've got the inside presence. They've got three three point shooters. 
They have excellent point play, have two people that can play it there. But as much as anything, I think they're the best pressure defensive team in the tournament. And when I say pressure, we're talking about picking you up, making it hard for you to inbound the ball after you've scored, and then denying everything and everybody in the half court. And they – you know, a lot of people try to do that with China, but the the real measure of a pressure defensive team isn't in its ability to get up and pressure the ball and contest passes and catches. The real measure of a good pressure defensive team is in its ability to help and recover from mistakes that are made because when you overextend on the defensive end, you're going to create some tough situations for yourself that require help. Mississippi State is the best pressure defensive team in the league because not only do they get up in pressure, they can help and recover when something does go wrong. Very important aspect. You're right. And I also think... Uh, that pressure defense forces you to think about what you want to do. They can take you out of character now. I mean, they can not only make you play fast, but they take you out of your identity, which I think is such a powerful thing. The team that can stay closest to their identity in tournament is usually the most successful. They will take on number 16 seed Nichols um, State, which is coached by, you want to tell us, uh, Michelle Vogel? Yeah, Mary Dobie uh, Plaisance, and, and of course the women's basketball fans, you know, may may know her just because she's been around for a while, but probably definitely know her daughter uh, Teresa Plaisance, who's a very good player at LSU and now is in the WNBA. So this was Nichols' first uh, uh, appearance in the tournament, and it's kind of cool because uh, I think you know Coach Plaisance has been doing this for a while. They had a really exciting game. Um, you know, to win their conference tournament. And it was just, there was so much excitement watching them celebrate. It was sort of like, it reminds you of, you know, March Madness means something really special to teams. Like you mentioned, we mentioned in the Lexington bracket, Northern Colorado, coached by Cami Etheridge, by the way, um, making their first appearance. And same with with Nickel State. Those teams that get to do it for the first time, there's still something special about watching them celebrate it. Yeah, definitely a great story, too, with Teresa there. Now, Angel, you've got to tell us, what do you see number 8 Syracuse doing? Now, they've overachieved, in my opinion, this year, considering that last year they lost Alexis Peterson and Brittany Sykes and a whole new group. But they've got arguably the best passing point guard in the country and Tiana Mungakahia, uh, and they'll be taking on the number nine seed. I know. You see how I got that out, right? I love um, it. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. What do you see happening in this matchup, Angel? Well, I don't want to say one of the best. I would say the best as far as, you know, Tiana leading the nation in assists. But um, we've both been able to watch her um, this season and how she – Literally, you know that she can pass. You know that she can get up and down the floor. And this team is very fast-paced. They like to press as well, full court, and like to turn you over. But when the ball is in her hands, she literally creates magic. And especially with so many new faces on this team, 11, 12 new players, that coach is like, well, I just wanted them to be confident in stepping in and doing what they need to do. And I remember talking to Coach Q Morrison, and he was just saying, you know, I don't, want players that are looking at me every time they make a mistake. And especially with a young group, I think they have that they're comfortable 
with making a mistake, but they also know that they they that coach wants them to be aggressive. I do think that they've overachieved as well. I don't think anybody was really expecting this, but they are very athletic. They get up and down the floor, and they are a great three-point shooting team. And Oklahoma State is interesting, and you, you may have had uh, some back and forth here, Michelle, but I, they I, they didn't finish as strongly as I thought they would, um, considering some of the highs of the season. What, what is your take on what what their year was like? You know, China, they're one of those teams that has one of the biggest, um, you know, spreads between how good they can be and how not good they can be. And their results mm-hmm. have shown that. Next to South Carolina, they played Mississippi State the best of any team all season. Yep. They lost by just three points. Um, to to Mississippi State, and that was in Starkville. Admittedly, that was in early December, but still nobody else other than Missouri, um, and that was at Missouri, played Mississippi State that close. That game could have gone to Oklahoma State. Lauren Goodwin has been uh, just a terrific guard, very, very well-traveled. She just had different things that happened in her career. <laughs> yeah. so she, she played at <laughs> yeah. four different schools, which is why people probably just aren't as familiar with her because she's been kind of you know all over the place. Kaylee Jensen's a very good player as well. But you're right in that the finish, you know, they, they lost some games, uh, the loss, at, you know, to Kansas, uh, for instance, that really you're like, okay, is this team really ready, you know, for the postseason? But that's what we'll have to wait and see. If they could get past uh, Syracuse, which I don't, that's 8-9, that's a coin flip game in my mind, um, then, you know, would that success that they had against Mississippi State uh, carry over into a meeting, you know, several months later. It could it could be interesting, but I do think um, Goodwin in particular is an interesting player to watch. Yeah, very. And like Angel said about Syracuse, you know, it, it's I mean, Goodwin. She's traveled. She can do a little bit of everything. But Syracuse, much like um, we talked about Mississippi State, they're going to pressure you. You know, and they're young, they're athletic. Um, and Quentin, they're just going to play the way they play. Now, they are playing more man now. They're not only playing zone, which has been an interesting change in, in what they've done. And, Angel, I know you've seen that as well. But, um, yeah, I don't know what will happen in this matchup, and, and most of that is based on just the inconsistency of Oklahoma State. I mean, if they play the way they did against Mississippi State, they'll beat Syracuse. If not, um, I'm giving it to the Orange. Moving on to Raleigh, the number 5 seed, Maryland. That's right, five-seed Maryland. No one's used to seeing that. Maryland Terrapins not hosting this year. Uh, They will take on the 12-seed Princeton out of the Ivy League. And then NC State is hosting West Moore's team. Got the four-seed, 24-8 and at large out of the ACC. They'll take on number 13, Elon, um, Charlotte Smith squad, the underdogs. um, Made their push it and are in the NCAA tournament field. So, in Raleigh, anything stand out to you guys? I think it's really interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, just to, to quickly talk about NC State, that was a team, especially being in the ACC, where um, I wasn't sure where they were going to, to be, but uh, I was quickly a witness um, just on how the senior Chelsea Nelson is dominating, literally dominating the boards, and I know that they were talking about that during um, – the reveal of the brackets and just going back, she's leading the team with about nine rebounds and 13 points per game. And they have found a way to just be that team uh, that is the traditional, you know, 
team of just being really hungry on the floor, pressing. I mean, they're in your face. They they almost outwork everybody that they come against, and I, I think they're really solid. They um, are sixth nationally in, in rebound margin, so I, I just like that team. They're like a blue-collar overall team, and I think that's um, just everything that they used to be in a program, and, and it's good to see them here now. Michelle? I just think what's interesting, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about this. I give Maryland a lot of credit with the graduation losses they have and then the transfer of their point guard. Kyla Charles, I almost feel like she's been, like, one of the most under-talked about, including by me, uh, players, good players in the country. And so uh, she's somebody I picked as sort of an under-the-radar player um, going into the tournament. She's really carried them. But I love this, these four coaches, I just have to say, because all of them sort of have different paths. You have a truly great, one of the greatest players and the person who had the greatest shot in women's uh, tournament history, Charlotte Smith, who I think has done a great job at Elon. And I'm going to be wondering if she's going to be, you know, maybe moving into a power conference because she's really done well there. Uh, Courtney Banghart, obviously at Princeton, Brenda Freeze, and then Wes Moore. I mean, a guy who's come in, a, a tough job to come in, you know, f- to pick up for that legacy of Kay Yao. I know uh, Kelly Harper was there, and then he then he took over. But he's a guy, talk about paying his dues for a long time and just being so successful at Chattanooga. And now he's had two really good seasons, I think, um, with, with NC State and is building something good there. I just, all four of those coaches to me are, are just interesting. They're really good and they all have different stories. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to have Charlotte there in Raleigh where it's not too far from Elon, but also not too far from Chapel Hill. Yeah, <laughs> um, where she played basketball. So that's a that's an intri- intriguing matchup. It's almost like North Carolina versus NC State again with her playing against, you know, West Moore's team. But, yeah, great coaching. I, I totally agree with Angel said, you know, this team is another overachieving team where they've just defended well, NC State. Um, they've rebounded well. And then Elon, I mean, out of the CAA, you know, it's kind of like you scratch your head, you know. I mean, it's she has just really done a fantastic job. And I agree with you there, uh, Michelle, that, you know, it could be time for her to move on. But we could say the same about Courtney. And you know what I mean? Like, these right. are just a group of coaches that have just continued um, to do well. And, you know, Marilyn, hey, I, I guess Brenda Freeze has to say, well, we can't be amazing every year because they usually are. Um, so I, I don't know how much there is to complain about, though I know people always will. But, I mean, Maryland has carried the banner, the number of Final Fours. Like, okay, so they get to just come and, and be a part of it. It is unfortunate when transfers and other things that have happened have played into it. It's going to be interesting if Maryland does meet NC State because one of those transfers is Kira Leslie, um, who's playing for NC State, who transferred from Maryland and could be facing her old team. So if that happens, that would be interesting. Um, and then Princeton, that just blew their way through the Ivy League championship. I mean, what did they beat Penn by 20, 30 points? Um, just really look like they're ready for the tournament. So we will be keeping our eyes on Raleigh. So let's talk about L.A. We are still in the Kansas City region. It's me, LaJonna Robinson. We've got Angel Gray and Michelle Volpe with you. Um, I love I love what they've done at UCLA. UCLA is hosting the three seed, right? And they will play number 14 seed American. But the other two teams joining them in L.A. are Creighton, 
in Iowa. How about this representation of Midwest <laughs> basketball uh, in the heart of L.A.? I just love that, bringing Nebraska in, in Iowa um, right down the street. And Michelle, what are you seeing in this Iowa-Creighton matchup? Well, that that is um, it's interesting because Creighton, you know, plays a lot of the the quote unquote bigger conference teams. They did that, you know, when they were in the Valley. Now being in the Big East, uh, I think that could be a very very good game. Uh, with Iowa, obviously everything starts with Megan Gustafson. Uh, it was a shame Iowa lost his point guard. Um, you know, because I think that hurt in terms of their depth and, and probably cost them some games that, that might have helped their seed. But mm-hmm. Gustafson is, you know, you know, statistically the most efficient offensive player in the country. And uh, that's what that's what's going to be Creighton's challenge. You know, can they shut her down? I think that's a really, really good uh, potential first-round matchup. I love that you say Gustafson because I've heard Gustafson, and now you. You know what? Gustafson. That might just be my Midwestern. I, I, I'll have to, if, it, if it is Gustafson, I being in the Midwest at, where there are a lot of Swedish and German people, I always when I see the, I always say Gustav instead of Gustav. So forgive me if it is Gustafson. Uh, that is that is me. That is just me being a Midwestern person who pronounces things. <laughs> no worries. That. No, no, no. I don't know which way it goes. So you're right there. Um, but she's she's one of the great stories, right? I mean, an amazing true back to the basket post player, which we we seem to be saying that a lot as this as we're moving through these uh, through the brackets. But Creighton doesn't face that in the Big East. Um, there just really aren't any true back to the basket players in the Big East. I mean, Butler is probably the one team that can boast with Tori Schickel. Um, so that, that'll be a challenge, but Jim Flannery's team always prepared. He's such a great coach. Um, you know, he has Connie Yori actually on his staff helping out now, who used to be the head coach there when he was on her staff. So that's been an interesting story to watch. Um, that'll be a good matchup. Now, Angel, I know you know a lot about UCLA. Um, mm-hmm. are they, are they ready for what comes with? The expectations, really, and I know Michelle has has an article out right now on Billings in Canada, but those two have something. I feel like they still have something to prove. Um, I don't know how many times they've been able to put the word championship, uh, write that down during their career, or even, you know, obviously making the Final Four, Sweet 16, those kind of things. What is What are they, what are the challenges for them as they start the tournament? I, I will say this, um, just looking at over the season, uh, I, I believe just with Jordan Canada, I love her as a point guard. There is no doubt about it, and it's not a secret, um, speaking very highly of her throughout the season and her career. Um, but it, it comes to a point where I don't know if she feels pressured. And a lot of teams understand that the ball is going through her. And so there are times where, she can be guarded or teams can guard her because they're filling in the gaps and they're not hitting the outside shots in the big games or she's really having to over-penetrate and be a playmaker, but everyone's gravitating towards her. So I think at the end of the day, yes, she is a great, one of the greatest point guards in the senior class, but also there's going to have to be some outside shooting that they have that can kind of stretch the floor out. I think Monique Billings has been absolutely phenomenal on this season. Um, and they're a good one-two punch. 
but it's going to take more than that. And I know this team is very athletic. They love to get up and down the floor. Um, and it's good to have the, the ball in Jordan, Jordan Kennedy's hands and being coached by Corey Close as well as working with Corey Close at UCLA. I understand that it's win or it's a bust. And they understand. I mean, they had great games against Oregon this year. I don't know any women's basketball fan that missed out on that Pac-12 midnight, whatever they call it. Um, But it was fun to watch the teams compete. But at the end of the day, do they have enough to really finish and get over the hump at the end of the games? And, I mean, you want it so bad for Jordan and Monique Billings um, just because they've been – absolutely outstanding players, but it will be interesting to see if they can really step up to the plate and hit those outside shots in order to really dominate. Yeah, they, uh-oh, we have another guest joining us. Who do we have, Tarika? We do. We have the uh, 2017 WNBA Rookie of the Year and NCAA National Champion 2017 <laughs> with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Make sure we throw that hey. out there. Miss Alicia Gray <laughs> on the line. Welcome, Alicia. Join the party. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's myself, LaChina. Um, Michelle Vopel's on our on our line, still being the champion of our podcast today. And then we have <laughs> Angel Angel Gray is on the line, and you you came just in time because we're we hey we're getting to the good stuff now. We've already talked about South Carolina, but I I know that you're going to be able to tell us a lot about the players' mindset um, as we start the NCAA tournament. So hang hang tight. Angel, finishing up UCLA, now they they lost in the Sweet 16 in each of the last two NCAA tournaments. So the question is going to be, can they finally get past the Sweet 16? They have not done that since 1999, and I know that piece of history would be significant for Corey Close, as you know they have just done an outstanding job. They will take on American, um, the number 14 seed, and we are moving now to Austin, where we have... None other than Texas hosting as the number two seed. Um, the Texas Longhorns will take on the 15th seed, Maine. And then also joining those two teams in Austin, the number seven seed, Arizona State, will play the number 10 seed, Nebraska. Um, I wanted to start with Nebraska. Um, just a great story, Michelle. At this point, they because they have overachieved, is it just kind of have fun, play loose, and, and see what happens? Uh, from the outside, that would probably be seem like, you know, that would be good enough. I, I have a feeling Amy Williams, she's so uh, intense a coach, and she I just think she's motivated this team so well. Uh, I think they're going to look at this and say, you know, hey, we would really like to be the the closest thing to a host uh, type of team in Kansas City. You know, I mean, that their campus is only three hours away from Kansas City, and uh, Kansas City would certainly love to have a team close by. Now, obviously, that would take uh, a lot to get out of Austin, but I think they're they're going in there saying, you know, why not? Maybe we can be a Cinderella and, and have a chance to uh, for our fans to be able to, to make a, a quick trip uh you know, that in the Midwest, LaChina, three hours, eh, ain't nothing, right? That's a, that's an easy drive. So, uh, so I think they'd love that. Well, they're going to have to get through an Arizona State team that, after my experience with them last year, um, I was in Columbia, where they pretty much pushed the Gamecocks to the limit. Alicia Gray, you remember that team, Arizona State? Yes, I do. 
<laughs> Gosh, that Charles, game was scary. Yeah, it was. What what as a being a player in that game, knowing what the expectations were for you guys to move on to Stockton, what do you remember about Arizona State and what was tough about putting them away? I mean, they just they just came out of the gate ready to play. They were misseated. They should have been seated a little more better than what they were. <laughs> so you're saying that uh, y'all shouldn't have had to play them, huh? <laughs> no, not that early. <laughs> right. They're, and they're a very tough defensive team. They did lose to you guys last year um, in the second round. And um, Courtney Eckmark has, has been uh, the player that's kind of, you know, made them go. And she's one of four players that are averaging double double figures. You might remember that name because she transferred in from from UConn. But um, they have their fifth consecutive NCAA tournament appearance. Would not want to play them. I'm just saying. Charlie Turnathorn is... She's. I, I'm just really glad I got a chance to get to know her last year. And then Texas, the Longhorns will take on Maine. Um, Angel, what are your expectations of Texas? So um, just for Texas, I would have to say um, nothing against Maine, but I'm definitely going to move them right along. And I would. It would be interesting to see, and I don't know how anybody else feels um, just about the Nebraska and uh, Arizona State matchup, but I do um, anticipate the that matchup with Texas. I think that it's going to be really, really good. But I think Texas has one of the most dynamic backcourts um, in the country with Ari Atkins and Brooke McCarty. I mean, she's just when when coaches say I want a player that just has that dog in them, that's the type of player that you want to like play with on the blacktop. Like she's so solid, has so much swag, just gets the job done, can shoot. Ariel Atkins shooting over forty percent from the three point line. Um, their their last two losses are to Baylor. You know, I think they're just playing their really good basketball right now, and they haven't lost since January. And But at this point, I think it's very important that everyone understands that this is a tournament and all that is behind you and what's going to be the best for you. I think they're very consistent in their identity um, for what makes them work, and that starts with Atkins and McCarty. So I think it's going to be interesting, and you talked about UCLA, and I'm – I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if UCLA could take out Texas. That's something that um, will be a, a very interesting. I'd like to hear your uh, perspective on that one, just with the the backcourt. So you got you got UCLA and in Texas. Yes, I do uh, facing each other. Okay, all right. Well, we don't. I, I don't know, Michelle. Uh, the only problem, the speed bumps I see along the way are, I do believe that Arizona State's a type of team that could upset the Texas, um, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, but other than that, you know what? I think that's actually a pretty good prediction. I, I think I'm, I think I like that. Um, and again, Maine, as you said, congrats to them. Didn't want to look over them coming out of the America East, but I do believe that Texas will kind of breeze through. I haven't really looked at what I thought would be the most challenging region, but now that I'm looking at this portion of, of Kansas City, it, it, it looks like an easier road um, than the top portion. Michelle, have you looked at that at all? Yeah, they, we have to, you know, like we have to pick uh, easiest, sort of easiest region, most difficult region, which I always think is tough because they're all difficult. But I, I did lean toward Kansas City as I think uh, if there's such a thing as an easier region, I, I would agree with you. That's probably true. And I do think it's going to be UCLA and Texas that makes it through um, into the Kansas City uh, semifinals. Well, I, I feel McCarty so much better about my bracket, Latina. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Now that Michelle's coming. 
I've got Brooke McCarty on my All-American team, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure I have her there, and that's just how highly I think about her. Um, you know, I, I just, she is, she has a motor. She drives them. Um, you know, I think that we saw that when they play well, when Atkins doesn't get in foul trouble or, you know, things like that don't happen. Like little little bumps in the road tend to take Texas out of their rhythm. They're a very rhythm-oriented team. Um, so barring any of those things, which we know do happen, um, it's a no-brainer. But how they recover from those moments in the game when things don't go well, I think will be the telltale of, of what they can do. But that would be a great matchup between McCarty and Canada if that does happen. Fourth quarter. Let's start off talking about Spokane. And I want to start with Alicia Gray and just ask her because we've talked about a lot of players, but I want the players' perspective. Now, once you're done with your conference tournament, right, um, you kind of got some downtime. What is your mindset as you're waiting for the NCAA tournament to come around? You've had your selection party already. You're excited about where you're going to go. What's happening in, in, from a player's standpoint right now, Alicia? Uh, I mean, it's definitely you definitely anticipating to start to get the ball rolling. I mean, March Madness is my favorite time of the year, tournament time, because that's when you really got to play. Like, because you know this could possibly be your last game of your college career or season. So, I mean, it just comes in with just focus and anticipation. And when once that ball gets tipped off, it's on then. Right. It's time to go. And for you, you are learning a newer position uh, down the stretch because of the injury to Coates. How challenging is that for a team that may be experiencing that right now, like a Baylor that's still getting their legs under them after losing Christy Wallace? You know, like when those little things happen and you have to change on the fly, um, how are you? How confident are you feeling coming into the tournament? Uh, it's real confident. I mean, when when I had to go to the floor, it definitely was a, a big adjustment, especially when um, Asia first went down having to play with Lay, and then when Lay went down, having to play with Asia. So, I mean, I just had to learn their mindset from a more of a post standpoint of how, where they wanted the ball, but also within me too, because I had an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage for me is I had a post guarding me, but a disadvantage was a post can just take me down and post me up. So, but overall, I had fun at the position. It was very fun to me, but it did take some adjustment to fix like the chemistry of how we run things. So with with Dawn, we talked about earlier that she wasn't necessarily happy about the Gamecock fans having to possibly um, go to Albany. Last year, the Gamecock fans had to go to Stockton. How good is Coach Daly at using that as a motivation to kind of push you guys and get you ready for, for you know, the, the NCAA tournament madness? It's definitely motivational because Dallas was closer than Stockton, and this year Columbia is closer than Albany. So, I mean, it's just – you just play for yourself, and then you play for the fans also. I mean – you just trying to make it as far as you can in the tournament, and then the fans will want to come. It's all for the fans. You just play your hardest so you can get that good home court advantage. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hear those games. You got to hear the game. Cox, like, that, that just boosts, boosts your energy. It gets you going to journaling, get comfortable. Oh, goodness. She getting ready to go out and shoot now. Let's jump into the Spokane <laughs> region before Alicia goes out to shoot some hoops. Okay, the Fighting Irish, uh, the number one – seed in the Spokane region. Uh, they will play the CSUN, 
19 and 15, the 16 seed. And then South Dakota State, the 8 seed, will play the 9 seed Villanova Wildcats. Anything stand out here to you guys? I think this is a pretty good, you know, opening weekend for Notre Dame. And that isn't anything against Villanova or South Dakota State or CSUN. I just think all of those teams are teams that aren't necessarily teams that can make Notre Dame uncomfortable on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, they're teams that probably in some ways might even look a little bit like Notre Dame off, on, on offense. Um and I, I just don't see them being that disruptive of what the Irish do offensively. So I, I do think it's a it's a good start for them, and I would I would expect them to, you know, to to uphold their seed going into Spokane. Yeah, they're not going to have to deal with a ton of like pressing and um, you know just things that may wear them down. You know, as you start to look at that shortened rotation in terms of style of play. Um, but the number sixteen seed, CSUN, um, out of the Big West, nineteen and fifteen, eight and eight in league play. Jason Flowers, his eighth season. Uh, this is their first NCAA tournament appearance since twenty fifteen. But we expect Notre Dame to move on, and she could face Harry Peretta, who, um, you know, there's something about those those Philly coaches, those, you know, Philly area coaches that they just, they seem to do well. Obviously, Don and Gino and uh, Muffet has her roots there, and, and Harry Peretta, who um, was co-Big East Coach of the Year. It's crazy how things get better with time. Um, and they will take on a very tough South Dakota State team that no one ever wants to play ever, um, especially at their place because they do such a good job of drawing but have had some success in the tournament. We talked about them beating Miami, um, so they're not afraid either. But we expect Notre Dame to move on. Now, um, in College Station, also in that Spokane region, we have the DePaul Blue Demons out of the Big East, winners of the Big East Tournament Championship, um, playing Oklahoma, the team that, as we mentioned earlier, if you guys are I didn't listen to that pod yet, we've got four regions, so make sure you check back. Uh, but Oklahoma did get in Sherry Cole's team with a 16 and 14 record as the 12th seed. They'll take on DePaul. Those two teams have had some amazing games against each other. Um, I believe they still hold the record for highest combined score in NCAA tournament of women's basketball history. I'll have to check that because they were at Duke. I remember them playing. I had the game and it might have been like 103 to 105 or something like that, but it was a fantastic game. And then they played again. They they just have a great series uh, against each other. And then Texas A&M um, out of the SEC is the four seed, obviously hosting there in College Station. will take on number 13, Drake. Angel, what are your thoughts on um, who will emerge out of College Station? Let, let me tell you, DePaul is the team that I think um, is very dangerous here. And I think um, just with what they've been able to do, I wasn't sure just looking at a couple of their um, uh, games and footage, um, what they'd be able to do as far as youth or getting up and down the floor, but they have been so solid um, towards the end of their season. And when you're talking about Doug Bruno and what he's been able to do, his offensive series, I think it looks a lot like even what Notre Dame does on the offensive end. But he and that group have been very impressive to me. Texas A&M, I do think um, that they will be able to move past Drake. And in my personal opinion, I think that would be the 5-4 set. Um, DePaul would move on to beat Texas A&M, even with the sharpshooter and Kennedy Carter. Wow, so you think DePaul comes out of College Station? I do. 
that's a, okay. Now, and I, I'll tell you this. I don't necessarily disagree with that because the one thing I will say is it's hard to be a freshman point guard um, in the NCAA tournament. And I think Kennedy Carter, as great as she is, has definitely had her challenges this year and grasping the college game and trying to balance between scoring and getting her teammates involved. And DePaul will test you. Um, two of the great coaches, I mean, three actually, if you look at Sherry Cole there, but in particular thinking about Gary Blair and Doug Bruno in terms of the history of the game and the stories that those two guys will tell you in a practice and shoot around. Oh my gosh, just a wealth of a ton of experience um, between the two of them. Who do you think comes out, Michelle? You know, I'm still going to go with A&M. Uh, I, I do want to, you know, give uh, – it, it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma responds because no school has gotten more, you know, vitriol <laughs> over right. the last couple of days <laughs> than the Sooners for both their men and women, right? Everybody's like, ah, the men don't belong in, then the women don't belong in. Well, I know Sherry Cole's going to use that and say, look, everybody says we don't belong in this tournament. Let's prove them wrong. So that, that will yeah. be um, something she'll use. And it, they do have – some ability they haven't been able to put it together so we'll see how that goes for them and and like you said uh, they have that familiarity with DePaul they they these two teams tend to just get into, into these gigantic scoring um, <laughs> marathons uh Drake I don't think you know I think it's gonna be very tough for them to to execute their offense uh against Texas A&M but I do want to give them some credit in that nobody had ever gone through a valley season Missouri Valley season undefeated before they've done it now two years in a row they have a 40 game winning streak going in the valley so you got to give Jenny Baranchuk a lot of credit especially considering she lost Lizzie Wendell and Caitlin Engel, the leading scorer yes. and leading assist person from last year's team. I think if everybody thought, okay, you lose that much, surely you're going to lose a game in the Valley. They played a really tough non-con, including playing Oregon. Uh, and I think that really helped them move to the Valley. This will be a tough – I mean, it's just so tough to play A&M defensively when you're, when you're a team like Drake. But uh, ultimately – I agree in terms of how there is some pressure on Kennedy Carter because she's the point guard, but she's a point guard who sometimes forgets to be a point guard. You know, like mm-hmm. she is, she's such a good scorer, sometimes she stops looking for her teammates. Their offense can break down a little bit and become basically Kennedy Carter kind of going one-on-one on everybody. And I think that that is what they have to be careful of, especially against a, a team like DePaul if they end up playing DePaul or if they end up playing Oklahoma. Yeah, and and to give Drake, you're right about, you know, the success they've had. I mean, goodness, 21 consecutive wins coming in this year. They entered last year's tournament and with a 22-game win streak. And the one thing about Drake that I think will bode well in the tournament, their bench contributions, 35 points off of the pine, third most in Division One. So what does that mean? That means balance. That means legs. <laughs> that means you can go and get deeper contributions. That means you can force teams to look at the second and third page of the scouting report. So that number really stood out to me. But I- I'm going to have to go with Texas A&M. I think they'll come out of here um, – um, if they can slow DePaul down. And that was the part of their game that Gary Blair said all year. It's been our defense that's been slower to come along because they have a short rotation and their starters, you know, have been playing a lot of minutes. And it's hard to press and play that high level of defense you want to play 
uh, when you don't have uh, don't have legs. Um, so that'll be an interesting matchup if it's DePaul and, and Texas A&M. But I, I think I may agree that A&M comes out of that, especially having the home court advantage. That's what you play for. Moving on to Columbus, ladies, we've got to finish this up pretty quickly. Um, in Spokane, Columbus, Ohio State, of course. Number three seed hosting. They'll play GW, Jen Rosati's team. How about them coming out of the A-10 um, as a major surprise? And then LSU, 19-9. They're the sixth seed. They will take on Central Michigan. Um, I think the story for Ohio State, obviously, is which Ohio State team will we see. Though I thought... We saw more consistency from Ohio State as the year went on. Um, so that was good, and that bodes well for, for Kevin McGuff. You know, I think Jen Rosati is an, is an amazing coach, so GW will be prepared. But from a talent standpoint, eh, I, I just think that Ohio State takes that one. And then happy to see LSU, um, Nikki Vargas getting them into the tournament, and then they will take on Central Michigan. And again, sorry guys, we got to breeze through this because LaChina has to take a flight to where I am going to Eugene. So, uh, <laughs> moving on to Eugene, uh, which is our final spot on the bracket here in Spokane, um, Green Bay. Uh, taking on Minnesota, Green Bay, the number seven seed, Minnesota out of the Big Ten, this 10 seed, and then the Oregon Ducks. Um, one of the best stories in college women's basketball this year, once again, and Sabrina Ionescu will take on Seattle U. Any takers on Eugene? Uh, I, I'm thinking the Ducks are they are they are on the ascendancy. They played so well in the Pac-12 tournament, uh, even in you know that another tough matchup with UCLA prevailed. And Sabrina Ionescu uh, is coming off you know a 36 point game. Uh, I, I just think they're going to whoever's trying to face them. That's going to be tough. Even though you know you want to give Green Bay, Minnesota credit. Uh, same with Seattle. I, I just don't think uh, the Ducks, they've lost one game at home this year. Uh, that was to Stanford, and that's the last game they've lost. They haven't lost since then. So I don't think anybody's going to stop them in Eugene. It's hard. I know it I has mean, to be quick, so I'm just going to say, yes, I really like Oregon and what they've been able to do there. Entertaining to watch. Sabrina is, I, I don't even know what word to, to say for her. She has been so much fun to watch and see how she's leading this team even in her youth. Yeah, she has been outstanding. And um, Kelly Graves, I mean, could make it back to Spokane, right? Uh, which would be a great story there. Green Bay, uh, Kevin Borseth once again. I mean, we're, we've we've gotten used to them just dominating the horizon. Um, so they will take on Minnesota. And, uh, again, Big Ten, we didn't know what was going to happen with the Big Ten teams um, you know, as far as selection and seeding on all those things. But Minnesota is in with a 10 seed. Marlene Stallings' team will be dancing. They were part of the debatable eight. So they were one of those teams that did make it in as the last four in. Um, Seattle U, congratulations. You know, those great stories that we all look forward to the NCAA tournament. I mean, this is really what, what does it. It's their first tournament appearance. Um, and in their ninth season as a Division One program. So I think that is quite an accomplishment uh, behind the play of Alexis Montgomery. And, ladies, it is time for us to wrap. So for us to end the show, I have to go to Alicia Gray for the final word because she is the defending champ on the line. If you can't <laughs> choose, if you cannot choose South Carolina, 
and you cannot choose Connecticut because they're obviously the favorite. Who would be your team that you think is going to win the NCAA championship and why? Oh, Other God. than your Gamecocks and UConn. Come on, Alicia. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to go to the SEC. I'm going to go to Mississippi State. Oh, of course you would go with the SEC. Oh, good. so why, why Mississippi State? What do you think they have the, to make it happen? I mean, they've been playing great all season. I mean, they pretty much got their uh, core group back from last season. So I think they'll, they'll do well in the tournament. I mean, I, I, then if I say the bus guys are being biased because of Steph, so I'm just going to Mississippi State. I was going to say, I'm going to tell your best friend, <laughs> Steffi Mavunga, that you didn't choose the Buckeyes when she oh, listens no. to she this. Didn't she did choose it, and I'll be biased, so I had to do an unbiased answer. <laughs> All right. Well, Alicia Gray has the final say. Thank you guys so much for joining the show. Um, Michelle Angel, I'm sure we'll hear from you again as we will do a, a, more podcasts as the, um, the brackets unfold and we get some winners and we move on to Columbus. But thank you so much, especially Michelle, for hanging in with us for the entire bracket. You're our MVP. Uh, for yeah. Tariq and myself, thank you so much. Thank you, Angel and, and Alicia. And guys, tune in and make sure you're watching NCAA Women's College Basketball. We are the exclusive tournament on ESPN Family Network. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.